This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carrie Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a cyber criminal. I committed several different types of crimes online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, went to prison. And since that point, I've turned my life around and focused now on protecting people against the type of person that I used to be. Well, last week's episode was really good. I, um, I think, I, well, we know that we need to do more of those. I know that they were something that we enjoyed and also our listeners did as well. Uh, you know, Jay was great. He really was. And I'm hoping that Jay joins us again, either on Anglerfish or the online fraudcast. But, you know, he, he pointed out a lot of different types of fraud that he had been committing. Right. Right. But I thought it was interesting that in a way he didn't really think it was fraud. It was more like an opportunistic, like trying to get around the lines. It, he didn't totally see it as fraud. All of them anyways. He knew some of them were were wrong, but like how he said that he didn't realize that people were using stolen credit cards to purchase from food delivery for him. He just knew it was 20 to 30% of what it normally would. So he was like, that's a good deal. Um, he didn't totally know that it was carding until he actually listened to this podcast. And we can't count on everybody <laughs> who's doing that to uh, grow a conscience or listen to our podcast. Well, I'm just glad that we could educate him on what was actually happening with the stolen credit cards. <laughs> right. <laughs> and hopefully that means that he's not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but I also worry, and I think you've said this before too, that when getting out of um, the life of committing crime or, you know, however you're seeing it, it, it they are criminal and they are um, impacting losses on companies. Um, getting out of that, I think a lot of people think is an easy step. And that's why I made a point to say that, you know, it took you a long time and there were several months where you didn't make any money, but you kept writing blogs and you kept trying and you kept meeting people. And so that is what makes me nervous. There's not anything that these people who enjoy coloring outside the line, so to speak, can transfer to easily on the good side to get them out of it. No, I, I agree. And, you know, my problem is, and we were talking to Jay, and I, I think I've mentioned this to you a couple of times, is I, I do not believe that a criminal will change his or her ways unless something makes them change. Uh, right. You know, prison does not make you change your ways. The only thing prison right. does is it teaches you not to get caught the next time. That's it. So, um, you know, Jay has a family. He's got a wife that, you know, doesn't want him doing this kind of stuff, but she still supports him. She still believes in him. I'm hoping that that Jay, during this path, and I don't think he's going to immediately go, you know, a legal law-abiding person, but I'm hoping that during his recovery that he continues to move forward and that what, what's already happened to him is strong enough that it makes him change his ways. I, I honestly don't know. I, I agree. I, um, I, I hope that as well. Um, I have a lot of hope for him. I think he's very bright and, um, very, uh, well-spoken and obviously, you know, that's because he, that's why he's good at social engineering. Yeah. Um, but I also have learned, um, through working with you and just in general that it's not a straight line recovery no. from anything is not a straight line. And so I'm hopeful that he, you know, joins this side, but I think that, you know, I see kind of this middle ground of like, okay, I want to stop, but then I'm going to look for money from, uh, from companies. So I can tell them, you know, I'm going to charge them so that I can tell them how I was ripping them off. Well, in a way you already got your money from them. 
Um, and There's a lot of companies <laughs> don't like, and a lot of companies don't like to pay criminals. You know that. Right. Um, you know, that's been something that's been a challenge for you. Sometimes you've had to go, you know, through another consultancy to have, you know, them pay you or however it is. So, um, you know, I, I wish him well. I think uh, what we wanted to really dive into today is that we got a few follow-up questions from listeners um, about that episode because we kind of raced through a lot of things and didn't get a chance to talk about some of it in depth. Um, so specifically, the questions were around refunding fraud because that's impacting, um, It's that's probably the most online-focused uh, scam that Jay talked about in depth, um, other than ordering food delivery, but he wasn't doing the carding. So, um, you know, really the biggest scam he was involved in that impacted online was refunding and that he was doing some of it in stores, but it's impacting companies all over the place. So that was one part. And then, um, people also had a lot of questions on what, how criminals are fencing uh, things. Break just a second. Okay. Um, the follow-up interview that I did with Jay. Oh, he never did any refunding. Oh, what? Should you not? Oh, Jesus. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah, I, I'd sent you that text message. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, did, yeah, but never, I didn't realize did you refunding said. One. Well, you mean, wait, I know you said that he didn't do refunding for CNP, but didn't he do refunding? He did. He did physical in-store. Physical. Refunds. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. Okay. Okay. As okay. As so I'll uh, go back and change any, that yeah, then. As far as doing any online refunding, the guy, that's what, uh, remember I kept oh, sending those text yep. messages. Mm -hmm. He didn't yep. know what the fuck he was okay. talking about. I, I get what you're saying now. Okay. okay. I thought you were talking about some, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So let's go back then. I'm going to, yep. Um, this show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know, Jay talked a lot about refunding in in-store, but there's also a lot of online companies that are really struggling with online refunding. Um, and so there were several questions about that. And I thought that we should dive into that a little bit. And then additionally, we received some questions around what criminals are doing with items once they get it. Um, I mean, I think we all know that they're finding marketplaces or ways to resell them at a cheaper cost to um, consumers than what consumers could pay for it retail legitimately. But I think that's a little fuzzy for people on the good side and for consumers. So um, those are the two things we're going to deep dive into today. Um, Brett, do you want me to kind of give an, um, a high level example of how refunding online works or why, why don't, uh, you know, why don't we both do that? You can, okay. you can give the example. I'll give, I'll talk about uh, my experience with it as well. And, you know, just, just so the listeners understand uh, when we gave, when we did that interview with Jay, I was, I was kind of taken back because Jay was explaining a, a method of refunding that just didn't jive with my experience of refunding. And mm -hmm. um, on the subsequent interview that we, uh, that we did on that show, um, Jay says that he had never really done any refunding, that he had read about it and things like that. Um, I did take the opportunity today to visit some of these refunding channels that Jay had referenced. So um, just to make sure that you know, I was right on what I was saying. So we will, we'll talk about that as well. But uh, Grace, if you'd like to give your, your example, then I'll uh, go from there and we can have a talk about it. Yeah, I ended up looking at some of those channels as well on Telegram. Um, I ended up downloading Telegram and searching the word refunding and found quite a few things. And um, yeah, so ironically, and I think I might have mentioned it on that episode, I had just had a phone call with 30 plus retailers the day before we interviewed Jay. And 
the purpose of the call was to talk about this very high influx in what they're seeing as did not receive um, claims from people. Um, other merchants call it uh, inventory not received or product not received, but basically it's that a lot of, they're starting to see a huge influx in people calling their call centers and saying, I didn't receive the product. Um, now that always is going to happen in a CNP scenario. There's always going to be issues with people stealing packages from porches or, you know, one of the shipping partners losing a package, like that's normal, but they're just seeing this huge influx in this. And it's like, Hmm, what are the odds that all of a sudden no packages are getting to anyone? Um, and so when we had this conversation, we were kind of assuming that it was consumers that have found a loophole, especially for larger retailers that are known for really generous or um, consumer focused refund policies. And it doesn't necessarily go through the chargeback process all the time. Um, a lot of times people are calling call centers because they've already exhausted the chargeback process and their issuing bank has told them no more. Um, that actually does happen um, to, you know, the people that do it all the time. So we were having this conversation with like 30 plus of some of the biggest and most well-known retailers and, and a lot of great discussions around it. Um, a lot of them, you know, weren't tracking it yet because they weren't seeing it as fraud. They were seeing it as a customer service issue, but at the end of the day, it's a loss of product and a loss of money. So, um, or basically you're just giving away products for free. Um, so the, uh, so when Jay was talking, I was like, oh, refunding. So when I went, I hadn't heard that term before, um, kind of like carding, you know, it's the term that the other side of the fence uses. So it's not one that we've been using. And I looked it up on Telegram and sure enough, I found the very first forum I found listed all these companies. A lot of them were on the call that I had had. And um, even one of them had a Google doc that you were able to look at and see the dollar value that this refunder could guarantee, would guarantee that he can get a refund for. So it'd be XYZ company. You can buy up to $500 worth of products and I can guarantee a refund. Um, another company, it might be $2,000. Um, and then basically the service is you give them your information, you tell them what you want um, to order, they order it, um, and then they um, they call the company once it's been received and they basically have a script for each company. They know exactly what to say that the customer service will give the refund. Um, this is a huge challenge for companies because you don't wanna stop refunding your good customers, but you're basically getting ripped off by people who are making a business out of it. And it's basically like the new type of CMP fraud just without a chargeback attached. Um, so we had a lot of discussions on that, but I didn't realize that it was actually very intentional and it was part of this new type of fraud. So I sent out the Google doc, um, I copied and pasted it. So uh, the person who started it wouldn't see all the people that logged in and I used a fake email address to get it. Um, and, uh, you know, made sure that they were all aware of this. And we had some really good conversations about it, but this is looking less like consumers just saying, oh, I didn't get it. And more like a new kind of fraud. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you said that. Uh, I look at, I look at two main types of fraud that are going on and have been going on for a, a little while now. And it's synthetic fraud and then refund. Mm -hmm. um, both of them are similar in the, the way they have been co-opted by organized cybercrime elements. Hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is, is both synthetic fraud and refunding, they don't start at the cyber, the organized cybercrime levels. They start at a grassroots type level. Hmm. Synthetic fraud starts in the poorer neighborhoods, typically the, the uh, more ethnic based neighborhoods that, you know, people don't have very good credit typically. So they need cars hmm. and furniture and things like that. Um, the same thing to a degree happens with refunding. And this was going on, you have to understand that, that refunding fraud has just completely changed the entire dynamic of cybercrime as we know it, okay? Hmm. Before, before refunding fraud comes into being, and this, it, it really starts coming into being around 2013, before it comes into being, 
a new fraudster, a new cyber criminal, he would go to a marketplace or a cybercrime forum, and he would typically buy stolen credit card details. And he would try to hit Apple or Amazon, and he would fail miserably because it's almost impossible to defraud those two companies with stolen credit card details. Um, typically at that point, a lot of them would quit and give up. Some of them would not. They would continue on and they would soldier forth and start carting food and virtual items and they would learn how to properly commit credit card fraud. Hmm. Well, what happens is, is on Evolution Marketplace 2013, we started to see some comments and those comments were, hey, I'm making $10,000 a month doing refunds from Amazon. And the, the response from almost every member there, the response was, you, sir, you? are full of it. <laughs> oh. no, one, no one makes it that kind of money doing that type of scam. Right. And about six months later, those forums on Evolution Marketplace and all the other, uh, market, all the other forums that were around, those forums were overran with sub forums dedicated to nothing, to nothing but Amazon refunds. And it was specifically Amazon. So now a, a criminal at that point, some guy who had never done cybercrime before, he wants to become a cyber criminal. He doesn't buy stolen credit card details. He comes to one of these forums. He, he reads how to do refunding. And the, the Amazon scam back then was pretty easy. You signed up for a free prime trial, 90 day trial, used your credit card, your address, your name, you ordered a MacBook Pro. Hmm. Amazon would ship it to you. They would leave it on your doorstep. As soon as you receive that MacBook Pro, you call up Amazon or you get on the chat session with them and you say, hey, I didn't get it. Amazon would send out another one. It would arrive two days later. They would leave it on your doorstep. You get back on the phone or on the chat session and say, hey, I didn't get that either. Amazon would then give you a complete refund. It was called a double dip. Jay mentioned that the double dip process. So you would have two MacBooks and your money back within 10 days. And that lasted exactly like that. It wasn't just MacBooks. It was 65 inch TVs. It was living room sofas, everything else that lasted exactly like that for over two years at which point, actually three years, at which point Amazon starts to say, well, we're going to require a police report for any of these refunds, these suspicious looking refund requests. So, what Amazon didn't do is they didn't realize that, hey, you know what? We, we fraudsters, we cyber criminals, we're really good about testing everything. So somebody said to themselves, you know, I wonder if Amazon's verifying those police reports. They Photoshop one, send it in, Amazon gives the refund. And literally overnight, there's an entire cottage industry of Photoshopped police reports for $25 a piece. And that lasted another six, 12 months until Amazon starts to really try to lock things down. Um, at, at which point it's too late. It's already taken a foothold on organized cybercrime. So they start looking at Microsoft, at Apple, at smaller and smaller merchants and retailers. They start getting outside of the, uh, of the electronics game and looking at other things that sell at higher dollars. Um, and that's, that's, that's what you're seeing, is you're seeing that the, the profit potential when, when organized cybercrime takes over a scheme like that and makes it more efficient, the profit potential is so high that you're not going to just do away with it. You're, they're going to continue that. And you've got on, on, on uh, Discord, on Telegram, on dark web, dark web forums and everything else, you've got dedicated services that if you're not comfortable talking to customer service, guess what? You go ahead and place the order use your credit card, use a gift card, whatever the hell you're going to do, you go ahead and place the order and I'll charge you anywhere from 5% to 15% of whatever the order was mm -hmm. to make sure you get your money back. Yeah. And some of them are placing the order for people and others are having the customer of the refunder do it themselves as well, which makes it harder to track, right? Like if it was all in one payment method, if the refunder was using their own you know, systems, that would be easier to track. Um, a big problem for on the merchant side for this type of refunding fraud is that they're not set up to do this. I mean, you just kind of went through the history of, of that on the criminal side. Well, on the good guy side, you know, fraud departments have really only been around for 15 years. I think um, Microsoft and Expedia and those guys were, were some of the first ones I'm aware of and, and they might be close to 20 years, but very new. And, uh, 
they're built around the event of a chargeback. They're built around a stolen credit card is used, then a chargeback comes, okay, we have everything in our system is around chargebacks. When we have a chargeback, we put it in our fraud system and any related order that comes in, we're gonna know it's fraud or any similar behavior, we're gonna know it's fraud. The problem is now that the fraud department doesn't really, well, I should say for some merchants, some companies are, are transitioning this already because it's been impacting them so much. But you know, traditionally, the fraud department doesn't have anything to do with customer service refunds. I mean, why would they? That's a customer service thing. And what um, stolen credit card? <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. There's no stolen credit card in place, right? Um, so it, it kind of flips the game and makes it much harder for merchants to track, to understand the impact, to do anything. And if you start marking every order as, you know, that's refunded in your fraud system, well, now it's really going to, you know, mess things up because there's also a lot of legitimate refunds in there. And so if you're starting to track the behavior of legitimate refunds in your fraud tool, well, now you're going to cancel a lot more legitimate sales. Um, and then the other issue is that, or not issue, but I think one of the contributing factors to this is, and um, you kind of mentioned it, but as online companies have been getting better and better at identifying when a stolen credit card is used or when a stolen payment method is used, whether it's ACH, Apple Pay, PayPal, Google Pay, you know, any of those things. Um, we've gotten very good at that. The technology is there for that. Uh, and so of course, fraudsters, people looking for things for free um, or very, very cheap are going to go to the path of least resistance, which is, and you and I have been saying this for well over a year, that your customer service team is your frontline of defense. And they're also the lowest paid people on the totem pole and they have keys to the kingdom. Um, I think what I just hadn't put together, and maybe this is just sheerly naivety, because you've been talking about the Amazon refunds. You talked about it last season, but I wasn't thinking about how it would look on the merchant side at this scale. <laughs> I, I just wasn't. I, I mean, I feel silly saying that, but like, and I feel naive saying that, but like, I just, I don't, I don't. I, I didn't put two and two together. Well, well think um, of it like this. Think of it like oh, this. There's a bunch of really bad feedback on your side, Brett. Every time you come off mute or whatever, there's like a humming noise. Are we better now or not? Yes. Just, just to, uh, to continue what I was saying. So, so think about it like this. So we're seeing this starts at kind of a grassroots consumer level, you know, someone wants a free phone or a free laptop and they claim it didn't show up. Cybercrime co-ops that makes it more efficient and then we see it go like wildfire through these forums and cyber criminal groups. Now we're seeing, because of the coronavirus that's going around, we're seeing that we're gonna have estimates are saying up to, up to 47 million Americans out of work a GDP drop of anywhere from 37 to 50%. So what happens, what happens when you have somebody that their child has got a birthday coming up, Christmas is coming up, or maybe they just can't friggin' eat and they've got a credit card. Now they can't pay the credit card bill, but you know what? I've got enough money on my credit card that I can buy that Nikon D1 or whatever the new Nikon is for $2,200. This refunder over on Discord says they'll only charge me 5% to do the refund. $2,200 buys a lot of food. I think that's exactly what we're going to be seeing is stuff like that. Wow. I just got like a pit in my stomach because I have so much empathy for those people. But at the same time, my sense of justice is like, no, that not the wrong, you know, not the wrong way. But I mean, I've been there. I was a single mom on welfare. Not that many. I mean, it was well over a decade ago, but still like 14 years ago, that's not that long ago. Um, that is a concern. And I think that, you know, any of us with half a heart obviously want to see people be okay, but not at the expense of other humans and, and just, you know, other business and businesses are victims, you know, and that's, I, I think too many people just think, Oh, they're a huge company. They can take it to be completely honest with you. I mean, and this is not the topic of this podcast. I know we'll be doing another one soon um, about, you know, even more uh, scams and fraud and things like that with the coronavirus. But there have been some large companies that have reached out in the last few weeks that are genuinely concerned about 
the future of their business. And they're companies that I think we all, you know, would have never thought would be on the chopping block. This has been a great equalizer. And so, you know, you add refunding fraud to it when it's really hard to to track and to identify. And you can't look at all the orders and say, oh, this one's going to call us in a month and they're going to ask for their money back or they're going to call us in a week and say that they didn't get it. You have no, it's not the same as, you know, credit card fraud where you can look at the behavior. Um, There are some things that I think merchants should be doing and I will talk about that soon. But um, I think that the challenge also is just that there's no barrier to entry. And you kind of touched on it, right? I think with credit card fraud, people know that's wrong. You have to you have to find a, a credit card that works, and you have to know a few things to place an order. Um, you know, you have to know how to spoof your IP or or do all the stuff, right? To um, that can be kind of overwhelming to the average lower level criminal, really. Um, or to the average person who is out of work and desperately needs, you know, food for their family or wants to be able to give their, you know, children gifts or whatever it is, or wants that new big screen TV, they, or the new pair of shoes. Um, there's just so many, it's like a, a numbers game. I mean, just the masses are so huge because it's a lot easier, like, shoot, I could figure out how to do that. You know, not that I would, but like, it's, there's no barrier to entry. There's no training really, especially when you could just hire someone else to call and make that call for you and that they guarantee it. Um, so that's something that I'm concerned about is just the num the size. I think we're going to see this really continue to increase over the next several months or year. I mean, it's already a bad problem, but you bring up a very good point that is also very depressing. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Here's, here's what I know. Most people, most people tend to think that ethics is con- are, are concrete, that, you know, there's a definite right and there's a definite wrong. And most people tend to think that until the shit hits the fan. Hmm. And at that point, ethics becomes situational. And I also know that human beings will always do what's in their best interest. Hmm. Now, sometimes that best interest if you're dealing with situational ethics, sometimes that best interest involves, like if you're in Italy, running into a grocery store and stealing food because you Mm. don't have the money to buy any. Now, do I have a problem with someone that runs into a grocery store and shoplifts food to to feed themselves and their family? I gotta tell you, I'm still enough of of the criminal mindset. I don't have a problem. I don't. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. But you know what? If I was in Italy and I didn't have the money to feed my kids or anything else, you're damn right. I'd be shoplifting. You're damn right. I would. And that's the Mm -hmm. scary thing is we're going to start seeing crime committed by people who would not usually commit crime because they're desperate. Right. Well, I mean, I was just, um, so we have this thing in a Facebook group locally. It started outside of Seattle, but I think it's pretty national now, uh, called Buy Nothing. And it's hyper local. It's by neighborhood. And uh, I think I have mentioned it before. Like I, that's my method of, of giving back to my community because, you know, I can give things that we're no longer using to the goodwill, but then they're making a profit off of it or any other thrift store. So instead I, you know, post things, especially right now, I've been intentional about, things that I know other people could use. So last week, I, one of the things I cleaned out was all my dogs, like dog treats and toys (laughs) and stuff that he's so spoiled, but he is very picky as well. So like, there are a lot of things that just didn't work for him when we first got him as a puppy, we didn't know what he liked and didn't like and stuff. So we had a lot of stuff. So I put it on by nothing. And there was someone who was like, Oh my gosh, my dog could really use this. And it was actually very sad to me how many people really needed dog food, but that's a side topic. I um, delivered it to this woman and stayed six feet apart, but I could tell she was extremely lonely. She usually works two jobs and uh, had been working full-time at a retailer in the mall, which is now closed. So she lost her 40 hours a week, now works uh, 15 to 20 hours at the grocery store um, in our neighborhood. We actually only have one and we are in Seattle, but that's another story, <laughs> like three within a three mile radius. Um, and so uh, we... Um, so she was telling me all about that and I could tell she's very lonely. So she, you know, was telling me all these things and how, you know, she's seeing behavior change at the grocery store and all this other stuff. And, um, 
she was talking about how people were already pretty brazen when they were shoplifting because uh, at least in Washington state, and I don't know if it's federal or not, but um, security guards aren't, even security guards or any store personnel aren't allowed to lay hands on offenders. So people were already just walking out of the store. Um, And she said now with coronavirus, it's gotten so much worse with people just piles of meat in their hands and they just walk out the front door. They walk right past the security guard Um, and the security guard will say, Hey, you need to put that back. And they'll just, if they know know the rules, which most of them do, they just keep on walking. And there's half of me that says, well, you know, if you are that desperate to, you know, steal food for your family, then, you know, I I hear what you're saying, but then there's another side of me that says more than likely they're going to go sell that for half the value on the sticker. And they're going to pocket that money and use it for something else. They're not. Yeah, I mean, there, there will certainly be a, there will certainly be a a group of people that do that. There will certainly be a group of people that when they go in to steal food or products or clothes or clothing or whatever they're trying to steal, mm-hmm. that they may use it as an excuse. You know, the, the excuse being I have to provide for my family, but they're out there stealing the top dollar sirloins or right. You know the the Dolce Gabbana clothes or what have you. Um, that's certainly going to happen, but that, that doesn't change. That doesn't change that. We're not going to see that. And, and I think you brought up a really good point that at the end of the day, unless there's a deterrence factor that keeps somebody from breaking the law, especially someone who's desperate, unless Mm -hmm. there's enough of a deterrence out there, what's to stop someone from doing that? And I, I keep thinking of, you know, law enforcement, they're pretty stretched right now. They're, it's yeah. pretty thin. They've got they've got a lot more things to worry about right. than, than an order that somebody says, "Hey, I didn't get this." Right. Oh yeah. I mean, to be honest, like it's not really something that the merchant could file. I mean, I understand why Amazon would say that because, and that was something we actually discussed that in the retailer call. Do you require people to um, file a police report in order to get a refund? And, and there's so much, that would be so bad for a traditional consumer, right? Like if sure. I ordered something from a retailer and I just called for the first time and they're like, well, you, you know, and I said, I didn't get it. They'd say, well, you need to provide a police report. I'd be like, what? But I understand from a local perspective, it's, Hey, if somebody stole it off your porch, you need to file a police report so that your police department can track those things. And also, so we can ensure that that really happened. The problem is twofold, right? One, I could file a police report right now saying that a package got taken off my door and, or off my porch and there's no proof. I I don't need any proof. I wouldn't have any proof. The other is obviously counterfeit and fraudulent police reports. So that's not really a good barrier to entry. I do want to just, a couple of things for merchants that, at least are good to think about. I don't have a silver bullet. There isn't a silver bullet, but I have been in discussions with a few fraud providers who are starting to um, provide some support to their retailers on this. Um, because really what I think one of the solutions is, is just to be able to get a handle on on what does it look like? Looking at the data, are there patterns? Are there patterns in the bin number of the credit cards? Are there patterns in the geographic locations? Are there patterns in what's being purchased, um, looking for those patterns. And the best place to do that would be in a fraud tool. But like I said, if you're marking it as fraud, then it's totally going to muck it up and make it awful and make it harder to um, not only catch fraud, but also harder to pass orders. And right now it's extremely important, especially for retailers to pass as many orders as they possibly can. So you're trying to find this balance in this happy place, which is really challenging. Um, But just getting your arms around tracking it, I think it's important for fraud teams to talk with customer service and, you know, create some kind of a process, whether that's someone who's been trained in the fraud team who can be in charge of reviewing refunds, maybe for a second or third time for the consumer or over a certain dollar amount or whatever that threshold is for you. Um, You know, working with them, having someone trained in fraud to look at these is going to be important and also a way to track it. Um, whether that's in your fraud tool as a separate instance, just saying it was a refund for, and then it's super important to be tracking the refund reasons as well. And this was something I was kind of surprised that a lot of retailers aren't doing yet. Um, if you're tracking the reasons, that's just good best practices in general to know, wow, we're having a lot of people ask for refunds because of X. Maybe it's, maybe it's not 
maybe the biggest reason isn't that they didn't get it. Maybe it's that it wasn't as described on the website. Maybe it's something else. So just knowing that is super important, just like it's important to know exactly why you canceled a fraud order. Any data is good data. And then on top of that, it's being able to pull reports to say, how many refunds have we had? How many are someone's second, first, second, third? Maybe you start to say, oh, there's a lot of people that have done, like have refund, asked for refunds on every single thing we send out. Maybe we need to not like fire them as a customer and not do business with them. You can start to create policies once you have the data. So that's my, like, that's the bare minimum that should be happening as well as, you know, working with customer service on social engineering. Maybe you are as a company going to have to limit your refund policies. Maybe you're going to have to, you know, require that they go into, or, you know, there's, or send something back out or, and if they say that they didn't get it, then you say, well, or maybe you say, we need to send it to a different address because clearly your items are not getting, you know, are not staying on your porch. Um, you can give them the benefit of the doubt, but um, I, I also just think it's important for merchants to realize that this isn't a consumer issue. This isn't a, just a customer service issue. There will always be legitimate uh, legitimate refunds uh, for packages that don't arrive, but they shouldn't be at the volume that they're at. Um, if that's the case, then you know UPS, USPS, and FedEx are not doing their job because uh, it's extremely high. Um, and then I would just say that to the people who are thinking about this, I mean, I get it. I've been in desperate situations. I, I've been in the situation where, you know, I was trying to find change in my car to put a gallon of gas in my car. Like I get it, but it's not a victimless crime. Refunding is not a victimless crime. And I'm probably, you know, preaching to the choir, but there are other ways to, you know, to make a dollar. Um, I know it's harder right now, but um, it's, you know, I, I think at the end of all this, we're going to be, you know, all of us have to live with ourselves, right? And if we think the only way we got through the economic downturn of coronavirus was by ripping off retailers or ripping off grocery stores or companies, like I wouldn't be able to live with myself. But then again, I think we've established I have an abnormally high conscience. So, <laughs> And it's not always a good thing. I feel guilty about the silliest things all the time. So <laughs> if I so owe someone $5, it's like all I think about. It drives me crazy. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. But I wanted, I know we um, don't have a ton of time left, but I did want to be able to talk a little bit about once they have these items, right, whether it's through carding, whether it's through refunding, whether it's through shoplifting and physical stores, what is the process that these criminals are going through? First, are they the same people that are doing this? Like, so if I committed refund fraud, am I the one who's fencing the item or am I, you know, selling it to someone else for pennies on the dollar to do it? Or, and I, I know there are a hundred different ways, especially with all of the marketplaces online right now, but um, you know, if you were doing it, what would you do? I would throw its ass on eBay. I would throw its ass on eBay or Craigslist and be done with it. eBay, Craigslist, Facebook marketplace. <laughs> so eBay is still a popular website oh, for oh, stolen geez, products. Yes, absolutely. It is. Uh, Amazon's a popular place. It's, uh, yeah. you, you go where everyone else goes. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's not difficult to, uh, um, you, you had posted that on, on LinkedIn and someone had asked that question on whether fencing things and, uh, you know, yeah, I there were actually several questions on the, yeah, so yeah. I had asked, um, I had asked people like right before, or a couple hours before yeah. we were talking to Jay, like, what would you ask a, a lower level fraudster? And there were several questions around fencing, like, where do you do it? Is there a specific demographic that you, um, 
that you're kind of targeting? Like I, I had never really thought of those. And then I realized, oh, we've talked a lot about getting the data and we've talked a lot about committing the crime, but we haven't always talked a lot about cashing out. Like those are the three. You're, you're right. That's we, the pyramid not, of, um, and that was where it came and, from. And for items, I mean, I, when, when you asked that, I kind of scoffed. I really Oh did yeah, you, you rolled your eyes too. I could hear yeah, it from, yeah, you know, several and, states away. And the reason why is anyone that asked that question, you already know the answer. You know, you, you're asking it because everyone else wants to know. You already know the answer. And, and, and the answer is, well, right. where would you sell something? Yeah. That's the answer. <laughs> where, yeah. If you have stolen gift cards, where would you sell? If, if, no, okay. No. If you had, if you if had legitimate had... <laughs> gift cards, if you had a legitimate gift card from, I don't know, some crap place that you're never going to shop at or eat at. Say, well, this say is for not, example. Uh... This is not a crap place, but I have an example right here. I'm holding okay. a gift card that has never been scratched. And I think I've had it in my office for like four years um, for I, $15 to iTunes. I got it to give sure. to my uh, brother-in-law's stepson who's a teenager. And I was like for Christmas. And then I, he ended up not coming to Christmas. So anyway, I have a $15 iTunes gift card I've never used. So, so let's where, use that would, as an where would you sell that? Well, I'd probably give it away, but um, if it was like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, I'd probably, I mean, I don't want to name all of them, but there are, you know, gift card marketplaces probably, or I would go to one of those physical locations um, where you can like a coin star, right? At the grocery store where you can either uh, dump all your change and get money, or you can now sell gift cards and get a percentage of money back um, just from the kiosk in person. There you go. That, that's that's the answer. And mm -hmm. for, for a stolen gift card, what I would do is I would get on Google. I would type in, as I just did, sell gift cards online. Oh boy. And the hits come back, raise.com, yep. card pool, gift card granny, uh, giftcards.com, mm -hmm. gift cash. And there's a whole list of that, right. a whole list. So if right. I, and if merchants I know a, that, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of them that work with some of those, you know, if, as if well. I had, you know, if someone gives me, to work with them. If, if someone gives me a crap olive garden gift card, when I hate that place, <laughs> you can bet, say it's a $50 card. If I just get $10 from it, I'm good to go. All right. And if people who are using, who are getting stolen gift cards, they, it's not costing them anything. So you can resell a, uh, I don't know if eBay still allow, allows the sell of gift cards or not, but it used to be. I don't a, think so, no. used to be an eBay card, uh, not eBay, but a Walmart card would bring, you know, 95 to 98% of whatever the retail, uh, the, the actual dollar amount was on the card. It depends on how popular the store is, what you can get at the store, uh, things like that. So, you know, an, an Olive Garden card may only bring 60 or 70%. So it depends on that, but you're, you're talking about 60 or 70% of something that you don't have any money invested in. So right. it's, it's all right. pure profit. <sighs> yeah. And I think we'll see that, you know, rising as well. I actually am looking at an email in my inbox about gift card fraud right now uh, from a very large merchant. Um, I think we're all kind of bracing ourselves on the merchant side as far as, you know, there's going to be more gift card fraud. There's going to be more, um, refunding fraud, there's going to be more of every kind of fraud. And then on top of that, you've got sales that are going down. And so you've got your executives in your company saying, Hey, why are you canceling so many orders? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, because <laughs> they're bad. Well, we need all the sales we can get. Um, that's happening a lot. Um, Here, here's a statistic for you. It's a that, that will tell that will tell you how desperate that merchants are going to get. Through this. You are such a ray of sunshine right now. Here's, here's a nice stat. Read it this morning. Visa, since the coronavirus economy has, has, has started crashing the economy, Visa is down 7% with the number of card transactions. Just in this short amount of time. And 7% for Visa is probably billions of dollars. Yes, it right? is. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been talking to, I, I, like I said, I've been talking to a lot of the top merchants over the last two weeks. I mean, it's a wonder I'm getting any of my projects done for my clients, but, um, you know, Carice, think about that. Think yeah. about it. We're, it's, it's, I've said it before. Sales Frank, are just so down. Yeah. yeah. I, I said it, you've said it, Frank McKenna over at uh, mm -hmm. his, uh, Frank on Frank Fraud on blog, everything else. Right now we are experiencing an absolute perfect storm for yeah. fraud. We're seeing things like friendly fraud, refunding, 
all these other things that that are easy enough to do. You've got an influx of people who are desperate to to get money and everything else because they're going to be out of work. You've got merchants that because we no longer have a lot of people that are going to be working. The merchants' sales are dropping, and by, by God, they need to make sales at the same time. Right, right. So all this together, all this together means, oh my, oh my. Oh yeah, I mean, there's travel and ticketing companies that my heart just goes out to them. In fact, I'm volunteering my time to uh, introduce them all to each other. You know, everyone in my network. Um, at the end of this week, to do something similar as what I did with the retailers to just get on the same page because. You know, you think about all the concerts and sporting events that have been canceled, all of the travel that's been canceled. It's just, I mean, it's depleting them. So now they have barely any sales. I mean, who's going to buy sporting event tickets or, um, you know, a concert ticket when there are no concerts or sporting events coming up? And if there is one in the future, I mean, I've got tickets for three concerts in, from May to June. And I was realizing this morning, oh, they're probably all going to get canceled so it's, it's um, all driven by you know that's yeah, one of the things i used to teach it's on, killing them i mean it's just ew, that could I, be a whole other podcast and it will the be, lesson but. that i the, one of the lessons that i always taught on shadow crew was mm. never do anything out of desperation all right mm. never never act out of desperation and that applies to merchants as well because we're going to start mm -hmm. seeing merchants that they need every single sale that they oh, can yeah. make just to survive Yep. So all of a sudden they get someone like I used to be mm. that calls them up oh, gosh. and I need to buy this, but you know, I, I need you to ship it to this alternate address or I've already placed the order going to the billing address. And you know what I had, my, my, my wife has got coronavirus. I had to take the kids to their parents oh, over in this other city. Could you please just ship it up there? Cause I don't want, I don't want this MacBook. I don't want this guitar. I don't want whatever the hell it is left on my porch for someone else to steal. So please forward it to this other address. I or really I can hate cancel who the you order. used to be every time you talk like this. Like, I'm just like, oh, I really hate old Brett. <laughs> That's effective, though. It's effective. It No, it absolutely is. And I, I'm glad you're, you know, I'm glad you're saying that. But that's, I mean, there are so many specific things that are going to come out of this. And, you know, like we said, we're going to be talking about this more. But, um, and this wasn't the intention of the podcast, but this is what happens with us. We kind of, you know, go on a windy road and it's a fun conversation for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. But um, it really, it's breaking my heart. I mean, the stories I'm hearing, I, I just got an email yesterday from a small business owner who was extremely trusting with the information he gave me. I, I kind of wanted to be like, don't ever put all of those numbers in an email to somebody you've never met before. But, um, you know, I mean, he's just like, what do I do? I mean, you know, sales are low, but chargebacks are high. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, he, uh, employs a lot of veterans and it's just, it's a sad situation. And, um, I am grateful that I have the skills that I do, but I also, I have to figure out how to scale it because I want to help everyone. Um, but I just, gosh, I just, yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about in the future. And yeah, I right. do think that refunding and fencing as well. And I think what I want to say, just, you know, kind of to wrap up the fencing portion, it was a short, you know, very short part, but, um, is that for consumers that are listening, when you see things that are, you know, cheap, a lot cheaper on marketplaces, just take a second and be like, huh, that sounds too good to be true. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's not my problem if it's hot. Like it's not my fault if it's stolen, it still works and nobody's going to find out. Well, yes and no, but you're contributing to an underground economy that, that could be funding human trafficking. It may not be, it might be funding somebody's, you know, money to feed their children, but it also might be funding human trafficking and maybe funding terrorism and maybe funding a lot of things. And you're also taking jobs away from other people. How much do you really need that thing? That's half the price of what it would be at a store. Do you really need those tennis shoes or that, you know, laptop or whatever it is, or are you just excited that you might get a good deal? Because if there are people who, if there is no one to buy those items on the marketplaces, then this will slowly go away. The problem is there will always be people who want a good deal on something. You know, what's funny, I, you were saying that, what's funny is, is it's, it's almost like at the end of this show, you and I have switched roles. You're talking to the consumer. I'm about to say something to the <laughs> We exchanged hats with while well, social distancing from like, we need to figure out how many states away we are, but I know we're thousands of miles apart. We are. <laughs> what I would say, 
You're wearing my hat, I'm wearing yours. Yeah, <laughs> what I would say is, is I would take to heart what I said about not acting out of desperation. Mm, I think I it's tell a, you this, very wise. The, the consumer that is out there that is, is going to do this type of fraud, me telling them not, act, not to act out of desperation is not going to have an effect. The mm. criminals that are out there that are organized that are hitting you guys with all this fraud, Mm -hmm. They don't give a damn about desperation. But what I can say to you, to, to the merchants out there, to the companies out there, is do not, do not act out of desperation. If you are so desperate, if your company is about to uh, fold or, or anything else because you have to make these sales, understand that the only thing that, that does is it makes you a wide open target mm -hmm. for people like I used to be. That desperation will break, will bankrupt you. It will break you. It will shut down your company. So you have to, you have to, instead of acting out of fear of desperation, you need to calm down and approach every single order with, with reason, with rationale, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. not, not be just scared to death that we're going to lose an order. Yeah, you need the orders, but you don't need the wrong orders coming through. Well, and on that note. <sighs> No, oh, gosh, I'm trying to not say something controversial. Um, that's going to get me <laughs> look at us really well. We are, we're kind of are still changing rules, except for the fact that you probably wouldn't have stopped yourself and gone. Mm. But I will say that there are some fraud providers who, if they're, and this is not all of them, but if they are taking on the liability for your fraud chargebacks, it may be it might be worth considering that maybe they're a little bit worried too, and that they may not be passing all the orders that they could because it's their bottom line at risk. And already I'm hearing that from a few merchants who are, are using services like this. And um, there's another service that a lot of them, you know, will go to, to kind of still be indemnified. But um, there's a, a company that really focuses on kind of taking the char the transactions that companies think they should decline and seeing if they can approve them or not. And um, it's a great service, but I think it's really important that people not be as trusting of their providers. If you're giving all of the decisioning away, whether that's through, you know, fraud guarantee companies or whether that's through managed services and, and having analysts do it, um, you know, setting the rules for your company, et cetera, just know that the company that's paying those people's paychecks is not your company. They're not worried about passing as many sales as possible. They're worried about doing their job, which is keeping you safe from fraud. And that might mean that in the margins, they're going to be like when we always have seen all of us on the merchant side have seen the, well, like not just seen it once or twice, but we've lived in the gray area, right? Oh, this could go one way or another. And uh, I think that it's important for senior leadership to say, okay, if you've got one of those orders, which way do you want it to go? Do you want them to pass it knowing that there's a risk for more chargebacks? Or do you want them to cancel it knowing that not only are you going to lose the customer for that sale if it wasn't really a stolen credit card, but you're going to lose that customer for life. They're going to go to your competitor. I had a little bit of a rant on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. You thought it was amazing because it was the first time I did it, but I was trying to order something for um, someone who is in my community, who uh, is a school bus driver, a single mom of four kids, didn't have any money for groceries, didn't have any groceries in their house. Um, she contacted a charity that I'm involved in. They contacted me because I had you know, said I'm happy to help with you know, any big needs um, or not big dollar needs, but big, you know, like very like necessity needs. And, um, I tried to send them money or food or, you know, some equivalent. Cause if I said what it was, it would narrow it down. Um, and that got canceled because it looked like fraud. Um, it got canceled by a, a merchant who uses a company who, uh, provides fraud chargeback guarantees. I wasn't able to do that. That also means there are a lot of good consumers that are doing kind of risky behavior because the times are different, right? I probably never, you know, a couple months ago, I never would have sent a hundred dollars worth of X to somebody I don't know. Now I am, and it's completely legitimate, but because I was canceled, it was like, Hey guys, it wasn't rocket science. Like, I mean, you could have Googled me. You could have like, you know, you could have looked up my email address. It, it, I was using the email address of my work domain so that if somebody, a human actually saw it, they would go, oh, okay, she's legit. 
but because they only use machines to do this, like they, they lost out on my business. And I now know that I can't go back to that merchant because I'm probably marked as fraud. Um, I'm a little concerned about going to any of the merchants that use that um, fraud provider because I don't know if I'm marked as fraud forever. Um, so that is something to be concerned about. And if you are a merchant using those, really work with your provider or look for an additional service to help you get as many sales as possible. Because I've worked with a lot of retailers in this, on this type of thing. And, um, it's a great thing to have someone else deal with it. And I think there are a lot of, you and I have both said there are scenarios where that makes total sense and where we have referred people to those types of companies. So I'm not trying to rip on them, but in this time where every single order counts, think about the motivations of the partners that you're working with. Think about if it's in their best interest to pass as many orders as they possibly can for you, or is it in their best interest to make sure that their bottom line is protected in case, you know, a lot of orders come back as chargebacks or come back, you know, or um, you get upset at them that your fraud rate is too high. I mean, it may not just be tied to chargebacks. It might be tied to SLAs or, or other things like that. So um, I know it's a bit of a rant. I'm not meaning to be, but I just, I think it's important for especially a lot of the companies that use those types of services or rely on other companies to review their orders or rely on other companies to write their rules are the ones that are really going to be in trouble um, throughout this. So that's where my passion plea is coming from. No, I think that's, I think it's sound advice. I do. And I, you know, I, we've said it before that sometimes you need a company like that, but understand mm -hmm. that, that a company is no different than a person. They act in their own best right. interest. And that may not always be your best interest. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And you can also use one of those companies and say, Hey, we don't want you to be able to cancel orders in our system anymore. Any orders that you want to cancel, send to our team. We'll manually review them. And if we think that they're safe, then we're willing to pay for the fraud chargeback. That's one way to do it. Um, if you don't want to send it off to a second company to look at it. Um, it, there are other ways to do things. Um, I think that that's, you know, I, I'll be doing a episode very soon, um, about different solutions for chargebacks right now for merchants that are just really drowning in that. I'm getting a lot of emails, so I feel like it's going to be faster on my end if I just kind of do a whole run through kind of like I did on the chargeback episode last, uh, season, but this will be very specific to coronavirus. Uh, there are some short-term solutions that companies can do to help stop the bleeding, whether that is that you're worried about your ratio or whether that is that you're worried about the money. There are two different things you can do there. And I also caution people when it comes to chargebacks, not to listen to salespeople, listen to people who know chargebacks. Um, I'm unfortunately seeing some companies taking advantage of this, uh, just this problem right now and, and how much chargebacks are really impacting merchants by trying to add on extra, extra services and products that people don't need. Um, and, uh, there, I think that if you talk to people who know chargebacks very well, they may not have the exact same advice. Just, I think it goes back to what you said, right? Like think about everyone's motivations because everyone is feeling a little bit desperate right now, even if, they have money in their bank account. They don't know how long it's going to last. They don't know if their job's going to be there. That goes for everyone, including sales reps for vendors. And it also goes for, you know, I'm not necessarily comparing them to fraudsters. I want to make that super, super clear, but just everyone in general, all of us, I think just have a little bit of desperation and your advice as far as not acting out of desperation, but also questioning the motives um, is really important because I'm seeing people get taken advantage of right now. And my sense of justice is not only designated for people that steal credit cards or people that, you know, lie and intentionally take advantage of refund policies or any other kind of online abuse we're talking about. My sense of justice goes across the board <laughs> and I can't change it and it won't change. So that's just how it is. <laughs> that's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us and we hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got so many more topics to cover to help protect you and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can to help others find out about us as well. 
then we always love to hear from you. What you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can always find Online Frogcast on Facebook or find us individually on LinkedIn or also on our website, onlinefrogcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.